Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Church at Home. My name is Alex Noel. I'm a member of the church board, a former youth pastor of the church, and I am happy to be able to bring the message to you today. Now, what we're going to be talking about today is about the way that we treat other people. We're going to dive into Acts 10. I know the, the verse for today is Acts chapter 10, verse 28, but in reality, we're going through all of Acts 10. So hopefully uh, you'll learn something, and if, of course, if you ever have any questions, please feel free uh, to send me an email or something like that after this because uh, I'm always happy to share. Now, the reason that I, I really want to talk about this is because I've had lots of experiences with that weird, uncomfortable feeling of being the odd person out. I'll give you an example. In 2009, I was going to Ambrose University. Now, I'm very happy that I went there. When I started Ambrose, though, I started as an English major. Now, those of you who know me probably know that I'm awful at spelling. It wasn't a great choice for me. So I ended up switching to the music program and the biology program there. That second year, so 2009, when I had transferred to new classes, I met new people. It was it was weird. It's weird trying to make new friends in a place that you had previously been comfortable. Now, the people that I was spending time with were nice enough to invite me out to a board game night. Now, I, I know it might be hard to believe, I'm not super on parties. I don't like big crowds. Generally, if I can avoid it, I will. But something like a board game might have figured, what could go wrong? It's just board games. So I said yes. When I arrived at this house, I got the sense that their idea of a board game night was much different than my idea of a board game night. What I assumed would happen is you have maybe eight, maybe ten people maximum, and we're going to play one or two games, and then I'd go home early because that's the kind of person I was in university. What ended up actually happening is their board game night was getting a hundred people together in a very large house and playing a bunch of board games at the same time. Now for me, not my kind of scene. I was very uncomfortable. And somehow by the end of the night, I ended up in in the middle of a giant circle of about a hundred people playing some weird version of charades I still don't understand and doing an absolute terrible job at that. Now, in that moment, that is perhaps the most embarrassed I've ever been uh, at least in recent years. But more than that, I felt very much n not a part of the crowd. I felt separated in the sense that I was literally in the middle of this crowd of people. But at the same time, it's a crowd of people that I didn't know well. It is that odd one out kind of syndrome that I really want to focus on today. Because uh, I feel like we've all been there. If you've ever felt like the odd one out, then Acts 10 really does talk about the things that are important for us to consider, especially as Christians, not just being in that situation, but potentially putting other people in that situation. Now, to say the least, it's uncomfortable. And when you feel like you're the odd one out, you could feel like you're alone in a room filled with people who are potentially friendly. And so if we're hoping to create an environment in our homes, in our church, in our classrooms, that people feel welcome, we need to acknowledge that it's possible uh, to make people feel like they are the odd one out and then take steps to make that better. It's much more comfortable to be on the inside. And it's much more comfortable from that point, uh, whether on purpose or not, to start pushing people out. The more awkward a person is, the less they sort of fit into our, our mold of the in-crowd, the easier it tends to be for us to push them out. There's a term for this. Uh, that term is called othering. Think of othering as making the distinction between who we are and who they are. More than that is making the distinction that who I am is more than who they are. 
othering is derogatory. You're telling that person, either with your words or your action, that they are less than you. And again, purposefully or not, that's something that I see often. I've seen othering in the classroom. I'm a teacher, and so I've seen it often. I see it on the playground. I've seen it in the workplace, and I'm sure you have too. I've seen it at the dinner table, especially when we start talking about hot-button topics of the day. And right now, there are a lot of hot-button topics. So if you've ever had a conversation with a friend or an acquaintance, and when you leave that conversation, you think, they can't possibly know as much as I do about this topic, that is othering. Even though it was personal to yourself, that is the way that we take who somebody is, and we make it separate from us, and we make it less than us. An example of this in the Bible is the term Gentile. Now, the term Gentile um, just means someone who isn't Jewish. But if we're going to use that more in the context of the time, it would be more like saying someone from another nation, someone who's not us. It almost had a derogatory term, so a, a negative connotation at the time, which, given the history, kind of makes sense. At the time, uh, the Jews had been persecuted for hundreds of years by people who are not Jewish. And so it makes sense, based on that, that they would have a name for those kind of people, and on top of that, that they'd be very weary of those kind of people. So when we think about the term Gentile, especially, it's going to come up a lot in this story, think about the fact that everyone involved in these interactions is very aware of the history of the Jews and the Gentiles. And so extending a hand from one group to another is a really, really big deal. So that being said, let's look specifically at Acts 10, where a story starts in the home of a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is also fairly famous uh, as Cornelius the Centurion. He uh, was someone who was praying and very, very devout, not officially considered part of the church, at least not at the time, uh, but someone who very much prayed to God, uh, gave to the poor, and did everything you would expect a good Christian to do. Now, one day while he was praying, he received a vision from an angel. That angel said, the Lord has been paying attention. He's seen how generous you are, how devout you are. And as a result, uh, we're, God has taken that uh, offering, those prayers uh, to himself, and he has found it good. And he says to Cornelius, you need to take some of your people, take some of your family. You need to go and then you find a man named Simon Peter. He's hanging out around here. Go find him and bring him back to your home. Cornelius, obviously shocked at the fact that an angel has appeared to him and told him to go find this man, did exactly what the angel said. So he got his people and said, go and find Simon Peter. Now, the next day, Simon Peter received a vision. Simon Peter's vision was a little bit different, though. He saw from the sky a giant sheet. I imagine it like a big white blanket. And the blanket descended on the four corners to the ground. And on top of that blanket were animals. A bunch of animals. Now, in this section of Acts 10, it talks about Peter's waiting for his lunch. So he's pretty hungry at this point. So he gets a vision of these animals, uh, mammals and birds and reptiles, all just sitting on this blanket. And then he hears a voice. The voice says, Peter, eat. There's your lunch. There's all these animals that are here. And Peter, confused because he knows, hey, I, I am not the kind of person to eat these. It is against my understanding of Jewish law. He says, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is unclean in the eyes of the Jewish law. And then God says to him, do not call something unclean that I have made clean. And so Peter 
punished for a moment and has that vision two more times. Three times the cloth falling, three times the animals on top of it, three times the call to eat them, and the confirmation that God has made those animals clean. So Peter, again, probably still confused, sits and tries to ponder what all of that means. After a few minutes, Peter gets a vision. Uh, Peter hears the Holy Spirit speaking to him. The Holy Spirit says, Peter, there are three men wandering around your house looking for you. Don't worry. Go with them. I sent them. So Peter, without hesitation, goes outside and finds those men. They talk for a bit, and Peter says, hey, come stay with me. And they stay the night. As we continue through Acts 10, it says that Peter, after inviting them to stay the night, the next day goes with them to Cornelius' house. Now, we don't find this out till later, but Peter ended up bringing about six of his closest friends with him, friends or family members. The Bible doesn't, at least my version, doesn't necessarily specify. But Peter takes his people and they all go with Cornelius' men to find Cornelius. The fact that he took his people is really important, so remember that as we continue. When Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, Cornelius fell to his knees, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, because an angel appeared and said, find that guy, and that guy not only is real, but he's here. It was all true, and so I would imagine he's kind of freaking out, like, what do I do? Who is this man? And so he falls down to worship. The other thing that I would assume is that Cornelius probably understood the relationship between the Gentiles and the Jews. And he probably understood the position that he was in as a Gentile, seeing a man who at the time had spent a lot of time in the area preaching the word of Jesus Christ. And so by falling on his knees, it is both a sign of reverence to the event that led to their meeting and humility, understanding the relationship between the two of them. And then Peter does something that, in my opinion, potentially sent ripples throughout the rest of the world up until this day. Peter responds with the first major act of extending peace, in that in verse 26, Peter says this, Stand up. I'm human. I'm just like you. A physical sign of servitude, Cornelius bowing, is met with an affirmation of their equality. You and I are the same. Not just in an isolated place either. That's why it's such a big deal that Peter brought those people with him. It wasn't just him saying privately one person to another, I'm just like you. Relax. It's okay. He's saying that in front of Cornelius' family and in front of his own. So a group of Gentiles seeing this Jewish man in front of his Jewish friends and family saying that it's okay. Relax. You and I are the same. When we approach other people with a mentality of equality, we build community. We start from a place, from a simple truth, that if you and I are the same, then you and I have a lot to offer one another. From that mentality, Cornelius and Peter begin to move forward. In verse 28, Peter continues, You know it's against the law for a Jewish man like myself to be in the home of a Gentile like you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as unclean. That, again, is a big deal. Peter, after receiving his, his vision of the animals after receiving his instructions to follow those men had come to the conclusion that it wasn't just the animals that God was talking about in that vision. It was the people. That if we are limiting access to God based off of being Jewish and subscribing to that 
section of the faith that we are losing the opportunity to share the gospel with a lot of people. And again, Peter's not just showing this to Cornelius. Remember, his people are with him. They're seeing this. And I would imagine they'd have a lot of mixed emotions about that situation, given that they probably understand the relationship with Jews and Gentiles as well. So as we continue, uh, it goes through afterwards. It says that Peter then began to listen to Cornelius. After Peter said, I'm just like you, nobody is unclean, I'm here because God wanted me to be here, he sits and he listens to what Cornelius has to say. Now Cornelius explains his vision to Peter, explains everything, explains the angel, explains going to find that person, explains that uh, he is already devout and he's praying and he's giving to the poor, and again, everything you'd expect a good Christian to do. After Peter is done listening, uh, Peter decides to preach. Now, listening in and of itself is a wonderful tool to get to understand the place of the people we're speaking with. If you haven't taken the time to listen to them, how can you know what they need? And more than that, how can you be a vessel for whatever God has to say to them if you're not listening first to what they have to say? We, we need to hear the needs of the people before we can do anything about those needs. So Peter listens, and then from there decides that the need is to hear the gospel of Jesus. So Peter preached. As he preached, the Holy Spirit descended upon Cornelius and his family. Now it says specifically that the people who are with Peter, uh, the other Jews that had came with him, saw the Holy Spirit descend upon the Gentiles, and saw that the Gentiles were filled with the Spirit. As Peter's people witnessed this, Peter made a choice. Peter, looking to his people, turns back and says, Can anyone here object to me and you baptizing these people in the name of the Lord, now that they've received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? So that earlier affirmation of Cornelius and Peter as being equals, that earlier affirmation of Cornelius not being unclean, of God making him clean, leading to the dissension of the Holy Spirit on these people. So when Peter said to his people, does anyone have any issues with me baptizing them? It was understanding that in that culture, baptizing the Gentiles was, was a big no-no. Peter was the only one that they had probably known of that had ever even tried to do something like that. But still, having seen everything happen up until this point, watching the Holy Spirit descend upon this family, upon Cornelius the centurion, the Gentile, they all said, yes, sure, go for it. Baptize them. And so they did. So let's recap everything that's happened so far, because it's, it's been a lot. First, Cornelius receives a vision to find Peter. Then Peter receives a vision about God making these animals that usually are off limits. God has made them clean. Also says, hey, there's some people around here looking for you. Go to them. Don't worry. They're with me. When Peter arrives uh, at Cornelius' house, he makes sure that they greet one another on equal ground. Even though Cornelius bows, Peter says, stand up. You and I, were equal. It's okay. You don't need to bow. Peter acknowledges to Cornelius that they are the same. And even though under normal circumstances they would have never met, Peter would have never come to his house, Peter would have never set foot into his house and had these sort of connections, God has said that those connections need to happen. And so those connections are happening. Then Peter shares the word of God. 
Cornelius and his family receive the Holy Spirit, and they are baptized. Despite the history between the Jews and the Gentiles, despite how awkward it must have been uh, to to build these bridges in the in the presence of other people who weren't privy to those visions, who didn't see him like Cornelius and Peter saw them, they still did it. And because they still did it, they have created uh, potentially what's thought to be Cornelius, the first baptized Gentile. And clearly, there have been many more since then. This was on the end of the story for Peter. Uh, Peter, when he went back to Jerusalem, got into a lot of trouble. The members of the Jewish community were upset that he had decided to baptize Gentiles of all people. And as a result, uh, Peter didn't really agree with the decisions that they would have made, uh, essentially saying that you shouldn't be baptizing Gentiles anywhere for any reason. Now, Peter uh, stuck to his convictions, and as a result, uh, Peter was alienated a bit from the community. Now, the king at the time was a man named Harold Agrippa. Harold decided to try and score some points with the Jewish community, and he put Peter in jail. Now, as Peter awaited public trial, a lot of things happened. The story for another day. But Peter escaped jail, and he was able to continue um, preaching based on the convictions and the vision that he had been given from God and the instructions that the things that they thought to be unclean, God had made clean. Now, Peter's choice to welcome those from outside of his community into his space, to take the people on the outside and bring them inside, it's something that for sure he had to understand had some very serious consequences for him. He had to know, because as someone who was raised in the Jewish community, he would have understood the context of a decision like that. So despite the fact that he knew it would get him in trouble, he still chose to extend his hand to the people outside of his community, and as a result, extended the word of the Lord and the Holy Spirit to them. Now, I'm sure that there are people that you've met, people that you've seen, people in your life that don't necessarily fit into your fold. They don't really fit into your in-crowd. They might say some things that are frustrating to you. They might have some opinions that you can't possibly imagine how any logical person can ever come to those conclusions. But that doesn't matter. We do not get to choose who's worthy of the Word of God. And we don't get to choose who's worthy of that hand of friendship and peace, just like Peter extended to Cornelius the Gentile centurion. What God tells us to do, and what it tells us all throughout Acts 10, but specifically again in Acts 28, is that God has shown us that we no longer think of anybody as unclean. That means that in spite of differences, everyone is deserving of that hand of peace. So from here, I hope sincerely that you choose to extend your hand out, especially to those people on the fringes. Whether or not you agree with them, doesn't matter. They're worthy, and as people who think of ourselves as good Christians, it's our job to extend that hand out to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for uh, whoever and however people are interacting with this message today. I pray it brings something to their hearts, and I pray that uh, we can extend our hand out to the people on the fringes, uh, whether those are people in our family or people at the workplace, people at our school, or people on the street. Help us to be the kind of people that you would be proud of. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.